Hello, this is Father John Arnold, and welcome back to Oral Valley Catholic. Uh, you know, when we read the Bible, uh, we can think about the Bible in different ways. You know, and if you've ever been in one of those discussions where people are cutting this line out of the Bible and arguing with someone else who's, who's cut another line out of the Bible, the idea of what's called proof texting. You have your beliefs and you go to the Bible to find what supports your belief. It, it isn't that the Bible doesn't give us statements about the truth, but when you just approach it that way primarily, you have the whole process upside down. Scripture is not a narrative of the past. It's not a catechism. Uh, the Scripture gives us images of God, especially the Gospel of Mark, which is the Gospel we're in this Sunday, is about pictures in our mind who God is. Then uh, Christ is not the words, but the words have communicated us these images of God teaching, healing, uh, dying, rising from the dead. And then the, what the process of the church is, is how we interpret and understand those images, uh, how we incorporate them into this holistic worldview. What religion allows us to do, why it's a gift from God to us, the Catholic faith, is it allows us to negotiate this huge abyss between our Creator and us. Uh, the idea that you would approach God as just an object for study, like dissecting a chimpanzee, doesn't understand the basic problem of God. St. Augustine said, if you claim to understand God, it's not God you understand. And so that the idea that anything that we Catholics say is this complete and absolute understanding, it's always faith seeking understanding. The image of God, how God reveals himself when he comes and he walks amongst us. We try to understand that so that we can respond to God in a holistic way. Well, the starting point always for Christians is the Paschal mystery. If Jesus was just a wise philosophical teacher, how much attention would you pay to him? Would you pay more attention to him than you do to Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, or Immanuel Kant? Um, when we look at the image of Christ in, uh, presented to us, by the faith of the church in the gospel of Mark. We are there because of the testimony of the apostles that this same Jesus that called these men to follow him and heal this uh, old woman and wrote, uh, raise this little girl from the dead, that this is God amongst us. Because it's only after our Lord's passion his crucifixion and exaltation in the resurrection and the ascension, that the church, the disciples, they begin to understand who Christ is and what he has done. And they did this by turning back to the Old Testament in order to understand Jesus. This simply reflects the fact, John Bear, an Orthodox theologian, says that the usual methods of human knowledge scientific analysis, historical inquiry, or philosophical reflection are inadequate 
when the desired object of knowledge is God. For God is not subject to human perception, whether physical or mental, but shows himself as and when he wills. Just as the risen Christ comes and goes at his own pleasure, as we have seen, disappears from sight once he's recognized. The, the idea that God, we can put him out on a table and pull him all apart, this is a rationalistic understanding um, which simply can't apply to God. The purpose of God coming and the church giving this, these images that tell what Christ historically did, the church's reflection on what he did, uh, it's all about leading us to follow. Jesus never promised his disciples they would have complete understanding. He promised them the same thing he promises us. Come follow me. These images that Christ, as he acts out God revealing himself, acts out for us in the Gospel of Mark, is about giving us a holistic view of the God who loves us and comes to save us. Um, so we have the capacity to understand. That's why we have a catechism. That's why St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas wrote. Uh, but it's all about how it is that we encounter and try to keep straight um, the image of Christ risen from the dead so that on a personal level, in our understanding, our own holistic view of our own existence, um, we can begin to respond to this God who invites us uh, to walk across the water to him. Uh, there's an image from scripture. So theology, catechesis, detached from a holistic view of Christ is just a fragmentation and it lacks understanding. That is why in our catechesis and our theology, it has to be wrapped up in faith and hope and fundamentally in charity if we're to follow Christ. And so here we are, and we're going to go into Mark chapter 5. But in the focus of this Oral Valley Catholic, I'm hoping we'll take the, under, the time to try to see this bigger image of Christ as he comes to us in the Gospel of Mark. And so, a holistic view. Remember Jesus when he comes in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, I think it is. He says three things. The fulfillment of the prophecies is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Change how you see things. Metanoia, repent and believe the good news. And so, in the very beginning of Mark, the church quotes Jesus as inviting us to look at him as the fulfillment of prophecy, that the kingdom of God is at hand is a self-reference to Jesus, that whenever we're thinking about the kingdom of God, it's about this understanding of deification, how it is that the human person and God share God's eternal life. Because this goes back to the book of Genesis, right? What did Adam and Eve want? They wanted to be like God, but they thought they could take it.
Jesus in the first chapter of Mark says, God is here now to give you what you cannot take. And then, metanoia, repent, change your mind, go beyond your mind, uh, and believe the good news. Oh, human beings, learn how to trust God. So, let's just go to where we are in just the last couple of weeks of Mark's image as a reflection of this mission statement. And so the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember, last week Jesus is on the sea and he says, Shema Israel, the voice of God coming over the waters. And he talks about a sower sowing seeds and how uh, it falls on poor soil or birds eat it up or it's trampled underfoot. And so this is partly a reflection on the sin of humanity that rejects God, but it's also because scripture works These images work at all these different levels. It's about how we allow anxiety into our lives to eat up faith, or we allow it to be trampled under by other people, or we're just not open to it. But if we're open to it, God can do amazing things for us. So last week's gospel, remember the storm at sea. Jesus is asleep in your boat. Jesus is asleep in the the disciples' boat. And the storm... This threat, what are they afraid of? They're afraid of drowning. Death is what makes sin so crippling. We want to grab for our self-existence instead of being open to the reality of God. Again, going back to the Garden of Eden. And you remember Jesus rebukes, rebukes the wind? And then he says, why are you terrified? Have you no faith? What I want you to do is to be alert to where that text shows up once again in the scripture today. Faith, not fear. So you turn the page from Mark chapter 4, and there was a reading that we skipped in order to have the gospel gospel for this Sunday, which remember is about the woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years and the little girl who is 12 years old, who is dead, 12 is this this number of the tribes in Israel. And so it's not just this old lady. It's not just this little girl. It's daughter Israel. Daughter Israel, old and bleeding. Daughter Israel, faced by death. But before we get to that story, it's the story of the Gerasene demoniac. And that's at the very beginning of Mark chapter 5. And so the storm at sea, Jesus calms the storm. And then, have you no faith? Um, Why are you terrified? And immediately the boat lands. They get out and it's creeping because they come ashore into a cemetery and there's tombs everywhere. And a possessed man comes out of the tomb. What have you had to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He says, Jesus says, Uh, What's your name? I am legion, for there are many of us. And then you remember, Jesus casts the demons out into this herd of swine who go off into into the water and are drowned. Why a herd of swine? Because the demons have a plan. The plan is for Jesus to have a cost for those local people who come out and see that all their pigs have been run off and killed. They don't want God if it's going to cost them. And the devil wants to make sure that there's a cost to it, right? And so this doesn't mean much to this possessed man. 
who, when the crowd comes out to confront Jesus, this man who has been cutting himself and bruising himself and can't be bound by his neighbor, he is beyond the help of any human being. And yes, have you noticed he dwells among the dead, the living, living out his life among the dead. And when the crowd comes out, what do they see in this image? Well, they see this man sitting completely healed. Um, imagine him wearing his chinos, a nice golf shirt with the polo emblem on it. Um, maybe no socks, maybe just some very comfortable um, loafers. Uh, hair nicely cut, beard's off, and he looks very youthful. Um, I'm making a point. How do you imagine this story? How do you imagine that this man who they couldn't bound, has been made healthy. But all they can see is what it's going to cost them. And this man who used to live amongst the dead is now very much alive and going back to his family. He wants to follow Jesus, but Jesus says, no, you go home and you tell what the mercy of God has done for you, which the man does. And so Jesus goes back, by the way, later into the Gospel of Mark, and he's received much better by the people around Gerasene. Um, but the, the image is the image of the sower, isn't it? That here's this, this man comes, casts out demons, restores this man to the living, and all they have is the anxieties of their life because they've lost their pig herd. And so Jesus and Mark is taking this story of the sower and he's putting it into the reality of human experience. And so they keep going on and they get back into the boat and they cross back over from where the garrisons are, which is the Gentile shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they cross back over to where the Jewish people are on the other side of the lake. And so this is the part, the last part of Mark chapter 5, which is the gospel today. But think about it in this image of the sower. Think about it in the image of what is the cost. And remember what Jesus keeps saying, and he will repeat it um, to the Jairus, the father who's worried about his little girl who he now finds out has died. He says, faith, not fear. Don't be afraid. Trust in God. So this is the story of what's called the Markin Sandwich. Why is it called the Markin Sandwich? Because it's a story with a story plugged into it. And you should ask why Mark tells the story this way. And so let me recount briefly this Markin Sandwich. So Jesus returns and Jairus comes, falls at Jesus' feet in Mark chapter 5, verses 22, tells him, please hurry, come, his little daughter is dying, and he can come and heal him. So Jesus says, I will. Now, he's walking around in this big crowd, and people are pushing him from every side, because everybody's excited, because they're going to see a healing. This is in the days before direct TV or the internet, right? Everybody wants to see this miracle. And then Jesus recognizes that somebody has touched him. Isn't it interesting? Because we see the story told 
first from the woman's perspective. If I could just touch him of his garment, as it says in one version of this story. But how does God see it? Because it's the image of the God and the human person, right? There are so many things that God is concerned about. He's going to respond to this uh, synagogue official. He's going to take care of this little girl. The crowd is all around. And you know, you and I would be very distracted. But we cannot see God like that. That's not the image of God. He recognizes the smallest, the most insignificant. This woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. This tragic story of wasting all of her money on doctors who can't not make her well. And it's just her touching him that she recognizes that she's been healed. And Jesus recognizes that something has happened. It's a different kind of healing story, isn't it? Because mostly the healing stories, the image we have is that you go to God, Jesus, you say, please heal me. Jesus wills it and you're healed. Then it's this direct thing where you get God's attention. You get that gaze into his eyes. But you know, this healing, that doesn't happen. It's like when Jesus talked about it in chapter 4. He says the kingdom of God grows silently. Sometimes you're not aware, even aware of it. And none of the crowd was aware of what was happening with this woman. And so in the story of this healing of this woman, you have again the story of the kingdom of God growing in all the tumult and anxiety that this scene tells you was present. Um, because it goes back to the parable of the sower. Do you remember the, all the anxieties that crowd out the kingdom of heaven? But it doesn't crowd out God. God's there in the midst of all the anxieties. And so you have the storm at sea. You have this noisy and tumultuous crowd. You have this God who has this plan where he's heading off to take care of this woman. And this uh, other woman just comes in and she is just incorporated into the kingdom of God. And then he arrives and everybody laughs at him because she's dead. This isn't where some people say, well, maybe if you look at the language, she's not quite dead. No, that's a Monty Python routine. She's dead because this is about the power of Christ over death. This is the image. And it's the rationalizations, I think, of sometimes of I think well-meaning Christians, that just don't deal with the image of God being the Lord of life and death. And so what's he say as, as the people try to shoo him away because they say she's already dead, like they know, um, they already understand, and he turns to Jairus, her dad, and says, do not fear, only believe. The same thing he said to his disciples during the storm at sea. And then remember, he goes in and he says, Talitha kum, little girl, arise. Anastasis is the Greek word. The word used here, arise, is the very same Greek word used to describe Jesus' resurrection. You know, the name Anastasia is actually rooted in the Greek word anastasis or anastis, anastasis. Don't really speak Greek fluently. Don't actually speak it at all. But that's where the word comes from, anastasis. And it means resurrection. 
And that's what he says to this little girl, like he says to Lazarus in the Gospel of John. Um, and there are other stories of Jesus raising people from the dead. But it's also an image that says what God does in the resurrection of Jesus is something different than what God does for this little girl of 12 years old. What God does is it's in the resurrection is we rise, transcend literally into another mode, another pitch of being. That's the whole story. It's about God doesn't will death. God willed immortality. If you look at Genesis, and I think it's chapter 5, <clears throat> Adam lived to be 930 years old. Why? Because Adam wasn't created into death. It's sin that starts to wear down the human beings. And that's why if you go through Genesis, these people lived to these ancient ages, nobody longer than Adam, but slowly less and less and less until you get to our uh, time or the Old Testament time where there's, with us at least, this battle over how long a life is. But it misses something fundamental that God's intention always was for human life uh, to share in this, in this life of God. The sin of Adam and Eve is they wanted to take it on their own terms. It's also the problem of the sower. People want God on their own terms. God, remember earlier I said, God is not subject to human reason. God can only reveal himself to us and then we, with those images of God's self-revelation, is we can try to understand. It's the call and response of liturgy. God calls, we respond. Um, we just can't decide that we're going to tear everything down because we are going to become God. This is the antithesis of the image of God and uh, the human person in Scripture. And so what does Jesus do, the image you have? Give her something to eat. Uh, takes care of her in the most practical ways. So I know you picked up 12 years of hemorrhaging for this woman, 12 years old, this little girl. Why 12? Well, there's 12 tribes in Israel. These images are multivalent. There's different layers to Scripture because this is how the church sees it. These events really historically happen. In retrospect, when these stories are told, and Mark is Peter's gospel written by his scribe Mark. This is Peter and, the, and uh, his uh, followers reflecting on these stories. Well, let's go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Remember, that's how we started it. This holistic view, because we are made for a holistic view. The big picture. We may not know all the details, but we know, because we've read the book of Revelation, that the end is Christ is all in all. And so Mark chapter 115, this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospels. And so the story of the sower, the story of the storm at sea, the garrison demoniac, the woman hemorrhaging, the dead, little dead girl, it's a story of God's care for his creation, made touchingly and beautifully, how God, a person, reaches out to us. And it's also the image of disciples and strangers 
and dads and moms responding in some way to God. Not always as we the reader would have it, right? But it's because we can have grandiose ideas about ourselves. And what scripture tries to do is to remind us, faith, not fear. Do not be afraid of humility. So let's pull this all together. So let's turn to early apostolic preaching because the apostles knew these stories. And you know, we always have a reading from St. Paul. And so in St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, it's not part of the readings today, but it's St. Paul and this understanding of deification. Uh, St. Athanasius in his book on the Incarnation said that God became man so that man might become God because he is riffing on St. Paul's preaching. Um, one example, because it's all shot through scripture, but Colossians chapter three, verses 10 to 11. And so he says to the Colossians, put, this, put your sins aside and put on the new self, which is being renewed for knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. And so when we are looking at the image of Christ in the gospel of Mark, Paul invites us to see our new self, who we're called to be. You know, St. Teresa of Avila, the, the uh, 16th century um, Spanish mystic and reformer of the Carmelites, she tells about this story where uh, she's having this vision and she sees this little boy. And uh, she says to him, who, uh, well, I'll screw the story up, but he says to her, the little boy, who are you? And she says, uh, I am Teresa of Jesus, which is a religious name, Teresa of Jesus. It's not Teresa of Avila, it's Teresa of Jesus. That's her name. And so uh, she tells him her name. Then she says to the little boy, and who are you? He says, I'm Jesus of Teresa. And that is St. Teresa of Avila's understanding of the human end. We're not called for just relationship with God, although that's a very human understanding of how it is we can find Jesus so deeply appealing. But you know, relationship, that middle part of the word is the same word for lateral because relationship means side by side. We're called for koinonia, communion, us in Christ, Christ in us. And so that is at the heart of the second reading from this Sunday from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And remember how St. Paul says, Jesus who was rich emptied himself and became poor for our sake so that we might inherit his riches. It's about deification. God, kenosis, his self-emptying, left back what he had because he pre-exists, which is the beauty of who it is to be God. And he left that behind to enter the pain and the suffering of, hu of the human condition so that he might lift up human beings. And this really builds on the Old Testament. It's... Um, the book of Genesis, which I've already talked about, Adam and Eve, 
that death is introduced into the world. And when we say that, what Scripture is telling us, God's original intent wasn't for this world of suffering as we know it. Um, that an enemy has done this, Jesus says. Um, and that enemy works in us. But the Book of Wisdom makes the same uh, sense. That's another one of the apocryphal books um, that the early church used. And then the Protestant Reformation decided that it wasn't in the scriptures anymore. But um, Orthodox Christians and Catholics have always looked at it. Uh, and it says in chapter 1, the very beginning of the Book of Wisdom, God did not make death. God created man for incorruption. But the death entered through the fall and through Satan. And so for us, um, sin and death are these interrelated realities because one is about just physical death, but sin is about undermining our trust in our Creator and our capacity to respond to them. So this whole understanding of um, the image of Christ presented in Scripture, it's God making people whole. That's all the stories of all of his healings, whether it's healing physically or it's casting evil out or he's forgiving sin. It's the work of how God makes whole. He reconciles us. He shows us his love. He gives us an example about how we can get beyond our own self-concerns and walk following him in this uh, discipleship of holiness. And so as we catechize as we think about our faith it has to be based on these images of God's self-revelation because no theologian's ever going to do better than God telling us about himself the best that theology does or catechesis is helps us to understand and so this idea of these multivalent meanings and how Jesus heals us and how Jesus is still present to us. So the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, paragraph 1504 says, Often Jesus asked the sick to believe. The sick tried to touch him, for power came forth from him, and he healed them all. And so, in the sacraments, Christ continues to touch us in order to heal us, in order to make us whole. So we do have images, and something more. You know, the bishops are writing on the Eucharist now. We'll have something in the fall, and I think we will address the meaning of the Eucharist as a whole uh, church. But remember, as we do this, it can never be separated from this, the image of who Christ is and what Christ brings into us. The Eucharist can never be a fetish. It is an entrance into this whole divine story. But... Jesus tells us again and again in Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5, what we need to do is trust. Fear takes us nowhere. We need to trust. Faith, not fear. It will take us to healing, a holistic understanding of us in Christ, in Christ in us. So it's Father John Arnold, and this has been another episode of Oral Valley Catholic. Recommend it to your friends. Dying for sinners.